Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome into the latest edition of the SICK Podcast, wherever, whenever you may be listening. I'm John Vogel. We got a couple guys in the wings. Uh, get ready to get jump on here with us. Some different stuff to get into. It's all-star season. You know, so we've been talking about the all-star prospects and the different things coming up. Got a discussion coming up about Jaden Daniels, so be sure that you stick around for that. But first, Shane back in the studio. As always, let's hit it. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. With Draft Vogel. With the first pick in the 2021 NFL Draft. The first pick in the 2022 NFL Draft. With the first pick in the 2023 NFL Draft. The sickest NFL Draft show. It's going to be sick. And remember that this episode is presented by DraftKings, where the NFL season is still going strong. Hey, if you haven't made money this NFL season, get on top of this. DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking up. New customers with an offer that's even stronger. Bet five bucks on any game this week to score $200 instantly in bonus bets. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweetener offer every game day this November. Get in on the game day greatness. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code SICKSPORTS. You can see it on the screen if you're listening on wherever you'd like to listen to your podcast. Sick Sports. New customers can score $200 instantly. So let's bring the guys in. Justin Gamble. And Mark Jarvis joining us. Mark, we officially extended this invitation. We've been teasing it here a little bit recently, but welcome to the show. Welcome to Thank the show. <laughs> and Mark said, yeah, sure, when we asked him. We were all hyped, and he's like, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, so cool. we know he's hyped. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that that is hype for Jarvis. Come on, man. Yeah, yeah, right. We're not going to get much more computer over so much here. more mild-mannered. <laughs> well hey that's what happens when you get older you start to mellow out and you go hey okay yeah sure weed is legalized in and, ohio now so maybe that's what's up yeah know. that's that's got something Mark. to do with it definitely yeah. I, was, I was about to make that joke <laughs> soon enough i'll probably uh, slow down talking okay. if, when we get to that stage of right. the legalization process yeah. your brain will start to work like mine bro so it's a slippery slope <laughs> be careful <laughs> uh. so uh Guys, we, uh, we want to go ahead and start on this uh, these interesting comments that were made by Dave Tepper with the Carolina Panthers this week. And uh, I'm glad Jarvis brought this up, you know, as we were talking about things that we wanted to get into because there's a whole lot to get into. I got into a Twitter fight over it. I don't know if you all saw that. Um, 
Dave Tepper came out basically after firing Frank Reich, the uh, the head coach for the Carolina Panthers after 11 games. Third coach he's fired midseason since he's bought the team, uh, which was not that long ago. Ron Rivera was fired during the season. I believe that was his first year as the owner. He fired Ron and then followed it up with three years later firing Matt Rule during the season. That was last year. Now he's fired Frank Reich. And so um, this is kind of a trend that we started to see as well is first-year head coaches, when it's not going good, you don't have that time. Granted, there have been some absolute disasters in the last couple of years. Urban Meyer with the Jaguars was a train wreck. Everybody saw that one coming. Uh, last year with the Denver Broncos, Nate Hackett gets fired 13 games into the season. So there was definitely some, you know, th- this is something that's starting to kind of trend in that pattern. So, Mark, I want to start out. This is your idea, so I want to start you out with your thoughts on this situation. Well, I'm almost, I'm curious what you, you said you got in a Twitter fight over it. I'm curious what the argument comes yeah, back your I'm, way. Yeah, I'm going to make sure that I get this. I'm going to make sure I get this stuff up. It wasn't anybody significant. It was just more of a me putting out information and somebody not realizing that I was trying to let them know about stuff without saying I know people. If that makes sense. <laughs> Fair. It never works on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> My thing, I saw uh, he said it was unanimous. And the first thing I did was start looking at how many people are in that building, right? How many people have a hand in that pot as far as the decision? If you're going with a really, uh, you know, wide open estimate, you're probably looking at what 20 people in that front office who might have watched those quarterbacks and had an opinion on them. the coaches. You're looking at maybe five to 10. So in total, you've got 25 to 30 people that have looked at these two quarterbacks. And I mean, you, you guys saw the consensus at that point. It was it wasn't full all 100 percent Bryce. It was pretty split. You know, there was a lot of people who like Stroud a little bit more. Um, and so when you say. Yeah, we were unanimous. All of our coaches, all of our scouts. What that tells me is that uh, the the odds of you uh, being unanimous are aren't they're not friendly, right? Like it's like if you were to take everyone you know out for ice cream and go, oh yeah, uh, let's go get ice cream, and every one of them orders vanilla. Like, what are the odds you're gonna get that? So immediately i had so many red, red flags going up in regards to that statement <laughs> just there there's no way everyone in that building came in and like oh yeah bryce young qb1 yeah we all agree sure cool. i mean it's probably like a jury like at the end of the day maybe he got everyone to be like fine we'll take bryce but you know it took time it took convincing and there was probably that process where it's like we all none of us agree or we all have different opinions but we're gonna you know get to the same spot reluctantly but it's not like anyone like like you said, there's no way everyone just came in with that opinion. He might have gotten everyone to at the end to be fine with it, but if that's unanimous, like that's that's a stretch on the word unanimous. That's not how that works. You know what I mean? So I think when Mark put that tweet out about when you said like their whole family the ice cream thing, I'm like, yeah, that's 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 perfect because there's no way he had a gun to all their heads and said vanilla, you know. But it wasn't <laughs> like they all came in with that opinion to start. So that's. That's just like horrible phrasing on his part and a horrible way to explain it, too. Yeah, so I'm getting that video. Let's go ahead and pull it up. Uh, Shane, Dave Tepper explaining this. Oh, do we have sound on it? We may not have sound. So so basically what he said is, you know, that, yeah, like you guys, just in case no one, in case no one realized, um, 
he said that it was unanimous in the building that everybody wanted Bryce Young. That's what he said. And I think, like you, that was, like you mentioned, that, that did, definitely didn't happen. Um, for a fact, I can state this for a fact. The coaching staff wanted C.J. Stroud. Um, and the comments that he made in that video specifically are already bad enough because he goes on and explains that, well, there was the reports before the draft about how we were going to, you know, Chicago's going to trade to Houston to two, and we were essentially going to pull a three-way trade where we were going to trade to two to take C.J. Stroud because we thought the Texans were going to take Bryce Young. And then ultimately, you know, they decide the Texans back out of the deal. They trade up to one to, to get their quarterback. So... He confirms that rumor and then turns around and says, yeah, we were 100% unanimous on Bryce Young. That was my first problem with what was being said. The second thing was the coaches all wanted C.J. Stroud. If you look at, I think I said this back when this happened, when this pick was made. Uh, I may have actually been on the sick podcast talking about it, uh, one of the shows. And they, it made no sense. You've got Frank Reich coming in here who's a 6'5" pocket passer quarterback that had done that for a long time in the league led one of the greatest comeback ever in NFL history against the Oilers in the playoffs uh, as a backup quarterback. He had to come in that game and pull that off. And then since he's been a, a coach in the league, he's done nothing but work with six, five pocket passer quarterbacks. You hire Thomas Brown from the Rams to be the offensive coordinator. He was the quarterbacks coach out there who has done nothing at the Rams except work with six, five pocket passer quarterbacks, Jared Goff, Matthew Stafford. And then for your quarterbacks coach, you hired Josh McCown, Josh McCown. who was an 18 year, six, five pocket passer quarterback. And you want me to, to believe that you wanted the five ten improviser. Where does that make any sense whatsoever? Yeah. Now, the coaches all wanted C.J. Stroud. They, I think that they made the initial move thinking they were going to take Stroud. But as things went along, Tepper steps in and goes, no, 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 no. We need yeah. Bryce Young. And look at how it messed up the scheme. Look at what they're running in Carolina. It is for a pocket passer to thrive. Yeah, it's vanilla. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. But it's sitting in the pocket looking at, looking at whether you're going to make the read. Everything that Bryce Young does well which is, hey, stretch the field, give me different layers, give me things all over the place, run a lot of bootleg-type concepts, get me outside the pocket, and let me let me improvise. Let me make things happen with my legs. They're not doing that in Carolina at all because they never were going to. They never had the staff for it. They don't have guys that have done that before. They got guys that have all worked with pocket passers. Granted, C.J. Stroud, not a 6'5 pocket passer. I think he was 6'2", just a shy under 6'3", if I'm not mistaken. But still... In that ter stereotype, a much though. better fit. He plays. He plays up to six five. He looks six five when he's playing quarterback. Okay, so I would have made fun of the pick regardless because I wasn't a huge Stroud guy. I thought that Stroud wasn't aggressive, but I was looking at this going, "This makes no sense." Because you brought in a whole staff to to coach CJ Stroud, and you're going with Bryce Young. That makes no sense. I think another issue, real quick, that. I have with Tepper's outlook and his actions by firing Reich is it doesn't matter if they did draft CJ Stroud. That roster is a dumpster fire. Your sixth overall rookie tackle has been awful. Your receivers are the worst unit in the league. Your second round receiver you drafted, I, I, incompetent. Jonathan Mingo has been unusually bad. Everything about them is bad. Miles Sanders is underwhelming. They just don't have 
any ability to do probably anything they wanted to do. So it's like, yeah, you got to give Frank Reich a year with these guys, regardless of if you drafted the guy that doesn't fit or the guy that does fit probably wasn't going to be good. So don't fire him, get him another year and get him some weapons, get him some help, see if it works. Cause we've seen Reich. He's not incompetent as a coach and a play caller. He just doesn't have any, this Panthers team sucks regardless of who is that quarterback. I mean, if Josh Allen was on this team, we'd be saying the same thing. Like who's he throwing to? These guys are rubbish. You you can only make so much happen as a quarterback, but it's such a dependent position on everything around you. So firing Reich, like wh- who are you going to bring in that's going to solve this? Nobody. The quarterback is a not does doesn't fit the personnel. The personnel doesn't fit the NFL. I just can't figure out what this what Tepper thinks is like the big picture now because all you've really done is set yourself back, and now you don't have a coach. Like it's just dumpster fire. And, and I hope Bryce's career isn't ruined because of it or put on like a big hiatus but it just doesn't look good right now nothing about it looks good and how much that comes back to to, uh scott fitterer too the the general manager you know the one guy that bryce has been able to lean on all year has been adam thielen who is in the back end of his career uh had a great time in in minnesota i mean he's been putting up some great numbers but it's because he's the only guy that seems to be getting open you know Yeah. yeah so how much of that comes back to Fitterer too, and why does he still have a job if you're going to fire the coach and you're going to fire the running the running backs coach Deuce Staley and you're going to fire the quarterbacks coach Josh McCown? You know what I'm which, saying? Like, which also doesn't make any sense. That's there goes there goes your NFL playing experience now too. Yeah. Thomas Brown didn't play in the league. Yeah, so I'm saying it's a dumpster fire. Like everything about this team, I'm like just send them into the into oblivion. Like they shouldn't be in the NFL right now. This is a this is a college team that needs to reset. Can we can we go ahead it's and bad. send? Can we send them down and bring up? Uh, the the DC defenders come is that something that we're allowed to do? Like we can, I'll write into Goodell. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> <laughs> see what I can do. <laughs> While we're at it, let's bring up modern day from high school and send down Iowa to uh, high school because <laughs> I can't. <laughs> we have too many mismatched teams right now. <laughs> Iowa competing for a Big Ten championship, and you're talking about sending yeah. them down to high school. <laughs> Averages three points a game, competing for a championship. <laughs> hey, so, defense wins championships, baby. So confusing, <laughs> man. Oh Jesus! But Mark, um, you know. That was the thing that bugged me the most out of firing the coach, you know, was not just firing him, but firing all the the NFL experience that you have pretty much. I think there's one or two guys still that have some left, but it's not even like you can say, oh, well, we're going to a more players based approach like Detroit has taken, like some other teams have taken in the league. You brought you brought these guys in, you brought this entire staff in, you let them go 11 games with terrible personnel and now you just start firing people left and right when you are a coach uh and you're being interviewed you're going through the interview process we're going to have several openings this year who in their right mind is going to go to carolina right now gosh i don't even know um here's here's what is tricky to me right from tepper's standpoint is can he come out and say after the fact hey we were really split on stroud and young as uh, like as prospects right like can you say hey yeah it was like a 60 40 split in our team you know we ended up selecting bryce but we had a lot of people in our room like stroud can you say that you, you can't really do that right so i think he was trying to kind of foster just this attitude of like we made the decision it falls at my feet and we're behind it but i think just the way he expressed it just really did not live up to expectations because we know just intuitively 
it was not 25 to 30 people in this building going, yeah, we all want uh, Young. Every one of us watched him. Every one of us before the fact, you know, said, yeah, we want him. No doubt. Never, never a question. Um, I don't know. It, it worries me as far as the dynamics of how they make decisions in that building, just as far as like it's it's okay to have the difference of opinion between, oh, some of some of our team likes Trout, some of our team like the Young, and then surface that and discuss it rather than it being this, oh, yeah, we were all unanimous the whole way. Absolutely. Maybe you have to do that for the public face, but. <laughs> yeah. I Jerry get, Jones. like, yeah, I get that side of it too, but it's just like the, the entire press conference, you know, and I think uh, Angry Scout said something about this on Twitter right after it too, was, it was damage control is what it was. There at that point, why even hold a press conference? You know, mm -hmm. if you're just going to go in there and say all the stereotypical things, and yep, yep, we we agree, we all were on the same page, blah blah blah. When everybody in the league knows for a fact that's not what was going on, yeah. you know, and <clears throat> it just, I guess that's the public face of the NFL that bothers me on this personnel well, side. Like, I think Mark's right though; he's got to do damage control now and, and like put that statement out for the public because he has to still hire somebody and have someone accept that job so if he comes out and is like we were split but i made the decision that it shows how bad the dynamic is in that building so he's got to make it seem like eh, it's not that bad of a job like well, we, we already do things. know <laughs> i know i know knows. it's like that's don't, all don't do. hold the he's press just, conference i know don't make it worse <laughs> yeah, don't double down don't make it don't. now we know you're a liar and stupid <laughs> and he could, have, he could have angled it too. Like, you know, we, we made the decision after going through all this as an organization to decide we're going to take Young and we still stand behind behind it. We believe in Bryce, so on and so forth. And he didn't do that. I think that's the right. part that confuses me the most because, I mean, it's just GM speak, right? Or owner speak is to say, yeah, we made this decision. We stand behind it. You know, we're going to see how things play out, but we still believe in them, so on and so forth. And right. I think most owners, most GMs, anyone in a position of leadership understands that dynamic and they understand how they have to approach it and so to go kind of the opposite direction discussing that i mean I, I don't think anyone in the league that hears that goes yeah they were they were they were not split like yeah they were unanimous no one who understands any you know group decision making to any degree and is going to believe that oh yeah it was everyone agreed across the board no doubt it was just yeah. all in on it you know yeah so Tepper's a liar is what we're yeah. saying. Yeah, uh, no, he, he, straight down <laughs> to the core all the way, baby. Um, no, so to kind of segue this and go with decision making and and you know group discussions and different things, you have this thesis that's been prepared for Justin regarding um, Jaden Daniels, and so you go ahead and start that while you're doing that. I'm gonna go grab my coffee. And I'm going to throw some creamer in it, and I'm going to sit down. So go ahead, buddy. Get this thing started. So, Mark, okay. give, give him the backstory, Mark, about the bet that uh, – or, or the stupid answer that I had to your question, though. Okay. So <laughs> I said – I put out on Twitter, and I said, what's a fair percentage chance for Jane Daniels to be the first quarterback off the board? So that no, got a lot of – <laughs> Well, it got a lot of different answers, right? Like some people are like, oh, 25%. You're like, that guy's probably an LSU fan. Or it got 0%. It's like, okay, cool. You know, you really don't think the odds are high. Um, and so I also put out a poll on it trying to figure out, you know, what do people think? Is it, you know, is it, what's the right price on this essentially? Right. Right. But Justin responded to it and he said, genuinely think it's zero. Yeah. And uh, so I think that's, <laughs> it's, it's an interesting viewpoint. Um, 
Man, I'm about to. <laughs> I'm trying to say this nicely. I don't want to mean I, be mean to you. Um, I got thick skin, buddy. <laughs> I know we. I think I and the listeners know you're smarter than me. So two just, two time perform uh, two time shower on uh, what is it? Old takes exposed, right? So That's right. here's That's here's right. one way to put it, Justin. <laughs> is if you your answer is just simply zero. Here's the question I would ask you. Right. Let's. I'm going to assume you have it. May and Williams are above Daniels, and Daniels is QB three, right? <laughs> What are the odds that Mayor Williams has a significant injury before the draft, like during so the pre-draft that, process? So that's what I wanted. That's why I was excited to have this podcast today because I'm like, all right, a bar if if there's an injury or something, then shoot, I guess um, SOL because that is what I think could happen. That that's the only thing I think could happen is one of them gets hurt or one of them has like, you know, God forbid they do, and I hope they don't, like some off the field incident, something. That we're like, oh, well, now you can't draft him, or you know. So I guess I should have put that into my bet with you, <laughs> but you know, as far, like I, I would just say, is if nothing, if everything holds as is, Dre and Williams both declare they both stay healthy. I and I'm, it's not even like I'm like, oh, Jaden Daniels is nowhere near there, but like he is not the type of prospect like with his rushing ability and his arm and his like and his height, like there's legitimate reasons why i could see him going first overall or above them like i get it i just think and i don't think he could jump williams and may at this point i genuinely don't and that's why i was willing to bet you 100 bucks on it but i do like i, I just wanted to put out that i do like daniels as a prospect a lot it's just not in this class do i think he'll go uh above those two you know so I yeah, and, silly at some point, but and okay. the bet to be clear was one one dollar to win one hundred, so it's essentially a one percent chance betting yeah. that it's you know you you think it's lower than that, I think it's higher than that. Um, so where my mind went with it is how long did it take you to feel comfortable with that bet when you were taking that bet? Like what do you, what were you thinking? Well, the funny thing is, like two weeks before you tweeted that, I was in a group chat with the guys from my old podcast um, that I've we've had a group chat for like seven years, and we were talking about Jaden. And we were like, damn, like this kid's dynamic as hell. We've all, uh, a few of us watched some of the all 22s of it, of his games of Florida State, Bama, I forget which other one. And we were like, you know, his game is still maturing from the pocket, but good Lord, like the, the tools are insane. And the, the ability he has just straight up on the field is crazy. But we kind of, you know, we were like, let's not get ahead of ourselves. The, when you watch Drake May and Caleb Williams, there's an obvious difference in the way they handle themselves from the pocket and the command they have as passers. And especially because they've had, you know, two years each or three for Caleb, where is it three where you're like, okay, elite prospects, like out of this world prospects, these guys do so much. Well, they don't lack anything either. They're both dynamic runners. They're both dynamic with their arms. They're both big guys. It's just, there's too much going against him. So I mean, that's why I was kind of like it, that bet. I didn't have to think about it right on the spot. I was like, I've we've kind of had I've had this talk a few times already, um, and I think Jaden made himself a lot of money this year by transferring. But I think it's you know not enough just based off who he's going against, you know, and that's unfortunate for him. But I think he's still going to go in the top fifteen. I, I I think he's really rising. He's ascending. So we'll see. But and part of what kind of caught my eye with it too is I posed the question of like, if you were a sports book. And you've got money to play with. Would you let me bet one to win a million or one to win a hundred thousand? Right. And you're just like, like yeah, that. I'd give you, I'd give you all of those. And the gap between a, a you know, 1%, a 0.1%, a 0.001%, so on and so forth. I think 
it's kind of like you got out of this mindset of like what's the actual like fair odds number into right. just a, is it going to happen yes or no right 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 intuitively when you hear Jaden daniels first quarterback off the board an answer pops to your mind no You're like no no way yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so that's one of the things i wanted to to bring up was this idea that we're you know we're not intuitively really good probability estimators we kind of just have the answer comes to our mind and we it either makes sense it's coherent and we right. believe that okay yeah sure or it's not you're not sitting there running calculations necessarily so uh, i wanted to share a couple of quotes on on that and one is uh from i know i talked to you i think about this john this book called super forecasting gamba i've showed you a couple things on twitter about this right so if you don't mind i'll read the quote um and i would just add to we've evolved for passing on our genes right not making these complex predictions and trying to figure out numbers wise what the odds of any you know weird outcome is um human beings have coped with uncertainty for as long as we have recognizably been human and for most all that time we didn't have access to st statistical models of uncertainty because they didn't exist it was remarkably late in our history before the best minds started to think seriously about probability before that people had no choice but to rely on the tip of your nose perspective you see a shadow moving in the long grass should you worry about lions you try to think of an example of a lion attacking from the long grass. If the example comes to your mind easily, run. If the response is strong enough, it can produce a binary conclusion. Yes, it's a lion or no, it's not a lion. But if it's weaker, it can produce an unsettling middle possibility. Maybe it's a lion. Um, what the tip of your nose perspective will not deliver is a judgment so fine grained that it can distinguish between, say, a 60% chance that it is a lion and an 80% chance. That takes slow, conscious, careful thought. Of course, when you were dealing with the pressing existential problems of our ancestors, it was rarely necessary to make such fine distinctions. Um, the ability to distinguish between a 60% probability and 80% probability would add little. In fact, a more fine-grained analysis could slow you down and get you killed. Uh, in this light, the preference for two or three setting mental dials makes sense. And so when we think about it that way, right, an answer comes intuitively to your mind. It makes sense. Hey, Jaden Daniels right now is not as good of a quarterback as Drake May or Caleb Williams, in your opinion. And so you're not thinking, what if Drake has this injury in his bowl game or something if he decides to play? What if Caleb has this off-field stuff that kind of balloons and, and drops him? And then it's one-on-one, -on -one, right? Jaden versus one or the other. Right. And that gets more complex, you know? So you, you're not viewing it as this, like, you know, large decision tree of, you know, possibilities. You're viewing Never it very do. much like, cool, you know? And I think that's what, that's what got me was the aspect of, you know, when you, uh, when you make that bet, it's okay. Is it, you know, is it 1%? Is it 0 0.1? So right. on and so forth. Should it have been like 25? <laughs> like, yeah. I, I don't know if I'd go 25. And that's, that's an interesting point too. Cause I mean, I I'll just go ahead and say it. I said it on Twitter already. I personally would have Daniels over Mayor Williams right now. And so yep. does that mean, I think he's more likely to go earlier than them? Not necessarily. Right. I think more teams still right. will like may, but I think trying to step out of that mindset, of like, what did I see on tape? And what is my intuitive like, okay, well, you know, Daniel's QB1, yes or no, and step out of that into, okay, what do I think the real odds are across the league, if that makes sense? Right, right, right. And I mean, and, that's what the draft is as a whole. It's just like an auction and teams are trying to figure out where do I need to take him? Who will go here? Who will go here? Like, I'm, they might have this guy above this guy, but do they really need to take him there? Or is the probability that he'll fall to this other spot? We can get him, you know, better. Like, so, I mean, I love that whole the whole quote, the whole thing, that's, you know, I don't really think that way too much, but I need to. <laughs> well, the, and the other, the other thing too, that I want to add specifically about this specific, you know, Daniel's deal is I think the, op I think the odds with, of him becoming a higher pick 
you know, than anybody's talking about right now is really good because look at how Lamar Jackson is playing in Baltimore right now. Look at what they built for him. He just got through his 12th game. He'll be playing his 13th game for the first time in two, in the last two seasons. He's missed, you know, he's, he, he's, he gets knocked out at week 12, at the 12th game, the last two years. Uh, he just got through that. And the whole idea of Monk and Todd Monken and Baltimore building that system the way that he did was one to get Lamar to be in the pocket a little bit more than he's been in the past and two to protect him and to keep him healthy for the season. And so by the last two seasons standard, he's surpassed he's surpassing that right now. Okay, so knock on wood, he won't go down week thirteen. But uh, when you when you look at the way that he's playing and then you look at Jaden Daniels at LSU, and you look at those two guys and you put them next to each other. What is the main difference right now between Jaden Daniels and Lamar Jackson? Who are you asking? Either one of you. I think Lamar is a more dynamic runner overall. I think the way he works in a phone booth and makes people miss is different, where I think Jaden is more straight line, but he's so slippery and kind of slithery. Like even his body type, you look at him and you're like, a dude could fit through a crack in the door. Like he, but I mean, I don't think it takes away from how dynamic he really is. I think there's differences though as rushers. And I think, I mean, as you have a good point, because like there's not a lot, there's not a ton other than we know Lamar can work in the NFL, obviously, because he is Jaden still not. So it's like, yeah, you have to, you know, make that projection and hope that it works out the same. But yeah, as as current players, you're like that's if that's what we can hope for him to be or something close, definitely worth a first round pick, and that's why I do think he'll go top fifteen when it's all said and done. I think that when you look at the growth that he's had over the last few years of his career, um, that's the biggest thing I'm always looking for in a quarterback. You know, outside of what you know, when we had Coach George on here and he talked about platform and all those different things and those little nuanced things, to me overall. What I like to see out of a quarterback is that consistent growth. Okay. Like just getting better, getting better, getting better, getting better. And it's marked. And with Jaden Daniels, it's marked over his career. He comes out every year a better player and he gets better by the game. We start to see more. We didn't realize he was this crazy runner until the end of the year, I think. I think we knew that he was a very, very good runner. But then when he went out there and started torching people, it was like, holy cow. We also didn't realize that he could hit the touch ball the way he can. Like he's been doing all year. That was something that was added to his arsenal this year. So to me, when I look at Drake May, I haven't seen marked growth from Drake May like I have Jaden Daniels. May is an elite prospect, and he's been really since he got into college. He's still not – we haven't seen a pickup in his processing. It's about the same. He's still going to make those boneheaded decisions. He's still going to try to force it into places. You know? Yeah. Caleb. He also does not have a Brian Thomas Jr. and a neighbors who are adding also yes. also fair also fair yeah. but you know Devontae Walker pretty, came in and he's had some horrible drops in key moments like I would just say I get what you're saying but UNC and LSU are not the same especially this year like this year we're like all right the LSU might have two first rounders who are one of them is a like a world beater he is an elite elite prospect. And they're making things quite like you know you watch the all twenty two of these two teams. I'm like, Gee, Drake May has it rough. This is sometimes this game is terrible. Like these games are no, rough. No, but, and, then, and I hear and I hear you. But remember what yeah. 
go back to what what Matt would uh, Phil. Why can't I think of his name right? Sims. What Sims <laughs> always says all the time. I'm going through like all his brothers and his dad. What is what is what does Sims say all the time? Watch where the ball goes. Right. When I see when I see Jaden Daniels throw the ball, that ball goes to the right place. Right. That's what I see. When I see Drake May throw it, yeah, it's pretty accurate. But if I had to compare his accuracy to, you know, like a guy and put it on like uh, like you know a, in a comparison, I'd say it's like Carson Wentz, where it, it's yeah. gonna get there. It's gonna get there, but it's kind of box accurate. It's kind of all over the place. You know, know it's man. it's in a catchable place, but it's not like I don't think Drake May's got absolute command of his ball. Interesting, interesting. I think we'll end up disagreeing there throughout the process too. Because okay, yeah, I think that'll be a part where we're like, eh. but I like that this class has basically you could argue three elite prospects, and there's different things about each of their game that now you, I mean obviously analysts and scouts and evaluators are all going to be like, eh, it's not going to be consensus which is kind of cool like obviously and i think a lot of people have dropped on caleb williams and i mean that's fair but i just think some people see it differently and that's another interesting perspective is like all right three four years from now who was right you know like who had it right because personally i think we've talked about this i'm like caleb has been caleb has been bored since the mill last year he's been better than everyone for so long that there's and there's only so much he can do and he's not an idiot he knows that and i think he's just been yoloing out there and having he wants to win or just play football his way. And if he loses, he's like, okay, but I'm not going to go out there and sell out and do things a certain way that I know we're not going to win doing. I have and to I argue could, because I mean, when you see him after that Washington game. He's pretty tore up. I, I think he's tore up because he's like, man, what could have been, you know, like I know I'm better than everyone, but what could have been, and you know, this team sucks and my college career didn't probably go the way I wanted it to go. Again, I could be wrong. I'm just like, that's how I see it. Cause I've seen him do, you know, otherworldly things. And I'm like, if you put him on a team with ball winners as receivers, this team's a lot different. Same with may. I'm like, he has Tez Walker who came in late and even Tez Walker is not an above the rim guy. He's not an adjustment catch guy. He's a deep threat. And even then we've seen him drop deep balls and I'm like, dude, that's your thing. So these two guys are getting that knock where it's like, it's almost like the Josh Allen thing. And you're like, how, what's the threshold for how bad a receiver can be. And we can still blame the quarterback. Like at what point are we like this? No one separates. No one's good. And then you go to LSU and I'm like, okay, yeah. Jaden Daniels is also very good, but look at like, you'll, you'll, you'll pause all 22. And I'm like, Brian Thomas and Malik neighbors are either not covered and he'll still throw it and they make a catch or they're uncovered because Malik neighbors is the fastest kid alive. Most games. And Brian Thomas is six, four. And some of the, so many of these balls that especially like these touch balls that Jaden's completing to neighbors, especially, I'm like, if so, if he drops it, what's the narrative there? Then those yards go down. But Malik Neighbors is winning these battles. Brian Thomas is winning these battles. He's taking slants 70 yards to the house. And now look at Jaden's stats. I, I get how, you know, there's two sides to it, but it just feels like, yeah, put, put Drake May or Caleb Williams on LSU. And I don't think you're going to see a big a drop off at all. I think the passing game stays the same probably gets better obviously they're not the same runners Jaden is and never will be because he's so dynamic but I just think it's that thing where swap the quarterbacks and what's what does it look like then you know what I mean see and but and I and I get the point too I'm not even arguing from a yardage standpoint or in the stats right. you know you know I don't look at stats very much right. 
I'll look at him every once in a while and go like like with Jaden here going, how many yards and how many did he throw and run for in this game? Like, holy cow, like it feels like he's put up 700. But, you know, to me, the one place that Drake is bad right now, and it's not he's not good, is in the intermediate. That's where you really see his ball go all over the place in that 10 to 20 yard range downfield on those in cuts on, you know, hitches, deep, deep curls, different things like that. His ball is all over the place. That concerns me a little bit. Yeah, Drake's a really good deep ball thrower. Um, you you got to be able to hit that intermediate area, and that's what's starting to really concern me about him. I'm not. I haven't seen his. I haven't seen his uh, processing improve in the intermediate area, and I haven't seen the accuracy get any better. It's still all over the place. He isn't a new going system. to that area. He isn't a new system this year. I'll say and it's not an excuse, but it's like this is the first year in this system. So obviously, it's like. I wouldn't expect him to look like he's mastered a lot of these concepts, especially against defenses he hasn't seen. You know what I mean? So I'm not trying to make the excuse, but I'm like, I, when I'm watching his film, sometimes I'm like, ah, it's a new system. And you can tell, like, he was late on that. And I'm like, why was he late on that? I'm like, well, he's probably seen it. This might be the first time. Like, he's seen that look against that, that concept. So I'm like, oh, okay. Do get, I get the concerns. I understand your concerns mm-hmm. 100%. And I think that, you know, maybe he's indecisive, and that's why some of his balls are not where they should be. Or he's late, or he's just again not looking at the right looks, and that's that's on him in the end. But I think there's some things going against him, and who knows if that's you know something that's gonna that we're gonna look back in in a few years and be like ah it was all over tape, or it's like yeah he finally knows this system and he's kind of mastering it, and we see this guy really take off. But well, that's Max Johnson's problem now. Yeah, he just committed to North Carolina today. Yeah. Which, which <laughs> announces to us that Drake is gone. He hasn't officially declared, but Drake is gone. Yeah, Drake is gone. Which is a gift. And, and a also, gift. Spencer Rattler declared today. Just mm-hmm. news. Spencer Rattler's out. So, yeah, we talked about him last week because he'd accepted senior bowl invites. So we knew he was going. Um, actually, two invites have gone have come out since we started recording this thing uh, as of Wednesday night. Twenty 29th Leggett officially accepted and I just saw it just came through that Brandon Rice from USC just accepted as well okay Jerry Rice's son yep uh is that a guy that have you looked at I know that we talked about Leggett last week Jarvis but is Rice somebody that you guys have looked at yet yeah I haven't seen him yet uh, based on what I saw from the USC receivers while I was watching Caleb I wouldn't be Hoping too, too much on that one, but like yeah. I said, I wasn't paying particularly close attention to him. It's hard because you're like, oh, that's Jerry's son, and you feel like he's going to get the name boost, but then you watch him, and I'm like, I don't know if he's draftable. Like, th- and that's the hard thing is you go into watching USC tape, and you're like, all right, this kid, you know, Jerry Rice's son, USC, they get big recruits, they get good players, and then you turn it on, and it's very confusing why he – well, it's not confusing, actually. It, it makes sense why he you don't hear that name more or like why jerry rice's son doesn't get more pub and it's because he's very underwhelming extremely underwhelming so i'll tell you what i thought and straight off my notes here he's a fluid athlete and he moves pretty well he doesn't have a lead end speed um which i mean that's how jerry was too jerry was just like that where he was just really fluid and didn't have top end speed um doesn't have a lot of moves in his arsenal I thought he has pretty good explosive ability. He shows good work through some timing concepts, stop and go type stuff. Um, high points of the ball very well as a catcher, but he does struggle with some concentration drops. Yeah, he, he made some really awesome. Yeah, made some really awesome catches through contact. 
and just commands the catch point. Does a good job of that. And uh, he is capable as a deep threat, but he just doesn't track the ball downfield as well as he should. That's not like his dad. Um, <laughs> run after catch, pretty limited. So where he catches I was thinking, and just lays down is what I've kind of noticed. Yeah, they're saying he's going to be just under 6'3", 205. Yep. So he's going to kind of... I think he's going to be one of these... If you're going to use him, you're going to use him as your two. He's going to be a lower end two. Yes. Or he'll be, you know, a big slot, basically. It's what he'll be. You put him in the slot, and he's probably going to be all right. Um, you give him opportunities where he can kind of get down the field and put him in those situations where he can control the catch point, use his body to shield it, all those good things. I think that he's going to do well with that. Um, he's just he's not going to win with speed. And he doesn't really have, you know, a lot of shake to him, if that makes sense, when he's trying to create separation. So that's the concerning thing. And then without having real run after the catch ability, he's just going to put his head down, get north south, and get what he can and go down. It's really hard to project him at this point. You got to yeah, see all the testing. I kind of thought he was barely draftable when I watch, and I'm like, well, let's see what he tests. He might test good, and then it's like, all right, he'll get that boost. He might be a fifth round pick. But I think the testing is like he's fringe draftable. He's sixth, seventh round, maybe undraftable. But I think that testing is either going to completely make him undraftable or fifth, sixth round, you know. But I don't think we're talking about a. Because, I mean, if he comes out and runs a four, if he runs a four, five, five, you know, if he runs a four, five, five, yeah, we're kind of talking about. He's right there. That's about yeah. what I've been expecting him to run is a four five five. But if he comes out and he runs a four four nine, now we're kind of going. Maybe he's a little bit faster than we thought. Maybe. But again, it's so hard to look at the these USC guys because of that scheme. I mean, we've been hammering yeah. on this the entire year. That scheme is awful. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah, and trying to evaluate a guy off of it, it's like, how did I do this when I was looking at you know CD Lamb? And other people that played in it, like how did I, how did I do this? Like well, it limits you know, the route well, tree so much. Learned a lot since yeah. then, I guess. Yeah, yeah. No, it just yeah. limits the route tree, and you're just like you watch, and you're like, can they run anything? But uh, like, I remember was it Amon Ross St. Brown? Was he there when Lincoln went? No, no, no. USC? No, no, yeah, no, no. no. He was, was there Graham before. Harrell, still I'm trying to think who I watched. Was it Bru? Yeah, you got to think. You got to think Oklahoma guys. I know. I just remember why. I'm, That's why I went straight to CD because CD was, I liked CD, but I think I wasn't sure how he was going to do and didn't know how to articulate it Yeah, back then. And now it's more of a, yeah, I just was unsure because I didn't see a, I couldn't get a full scouting report on him based on the scheme. Well, even Addison last year, Jordan Addison ran like two and a half routes for that team and he was in one spot a lot it was just it's hard to get like a real feel on what they're able to do in their route tree yeah uh, but versus, most of my eval on him was done at pit so i same, was same i I'm was just okay saying, like, that, you know and that was even harder though he goes from pit to usc and you're like yeah. is this the same guy or is it just like are this a system just suck and i'm not really getting to see him run a lot of different routes versus different looks i don't even get and same with like it's like jackson smith and jigba you're like i they ask him to do one thing most of the game. So, like, can he do more or does he not? It, a lot of these college offenses just kind of limit what you're able to see, which really sucks. Um, 
and that's why like you right now with the quarterbacks we're doing so much projecting with these top three like hopefully may or you know hopefully may can do more when he's in a system that he's been in for more than a year and has some weapons hopefully some of his things sharpen up his decision making gets better hopefully caleb decides to put in structure and care more like or whatever i don't know what he has so many random things weird about his game hopefully Jaden is able to get to a, a system that really lets him operate with what he does well i think he's really good in the quick game i think his timing is nice when it's all there when like the picture stays the same early i think he throws a great deep ball but i think there's like that intermediate part of his game which is the toughest for everybody that's where i still see him like ooh, he makes up for those times when he doesn't see the field well he just takes off and props to him he's amazing at it but um yeah this class has really started to get pretty cool uh the more we the more I mean, we talked about it john what like a f- month or two ago and we were like there's like 20 prospects we like and after that it just gets crappy but i think last few weeks the more football we've seen i don't know about you or both you guys but i've started to see a lot more guys that i really like so that's cool i always saw a lot of guys that were in that i thought it was a deep second third round group right okay especially at wide receiver when you get into the receivers because i think we were talking about it last week where you know when you go down the list and i just went down my list of z's you know like twos uh it's crazy crazy deep like tory horton in a normal class is probably a third fourth round pick out of colorado state yeah and in this class it's like well does he get a senior bowl invite like does he (laughs) i know is is there is there enough there is he gonna even get is he gonna get out of day like the fifth round like is he does he pick before then because there's so many other guys i can pick from and again we got to see how who goes back how it all shakes out i mean this transfer portal is about to get insane i'm tracking 300 guys already in there and we haven't even got to the main brunt of it yet it's just the graduate seniors yeah like you're you're on top of that so we'll be talking man (laughs) oh man it's it's crazy right now so You know, and it's about to get nuttier, especially with some of the stuff I'm hearing, you know, about players going here, players going there, and already decisions kind of being made under the table. Like, well, Riley Leonard's transferring, Tyler Van Dyke, Cam Ward. I mean, we're going to see a little quarterback carousel. I don't, think, is, I don't think Ward's made the decision yet. I thought he announced like two days ago he's transferring. He no, transferring. he hasn't. Cam no, Ward? no, he hasn't yet. So it came out that 10 schools have offered him seven digits oh, to transfer. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. That's what it is. That's but he is. hasn't actually done it yet. So you can okay. scratch Cam, Cam Ward off of your right. draft projections missing, right now. Missing, he's not misinformation, coming. people. Yep. He's, he's, not, he's not coming out in the draft this year, okay? Yep. He's, and he's, not he's, transferring. he's transferring, and he's going to be at a Power 5 school. Well, it's not even Power 5 anymore. It's like Power 4. And he's going to absolutely probably kill it next year, wherever he ends what? up. Go, go to LSU and take over from uh, Jaden. That would be smart. That'd be I don't cool. think that's where I don't think that's where he's going to go. I, I don't, don't either. I think he's going Big Ten. Okay, just just telling you, Iowa. I think, he, I think he's going Big Ten. <laughs> 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 they got K- Cade McNamara staying. I'm pretty sure, so <laughs> they're happy with yeah. that. Oh, are they? Okay. <laughs> well, they are. They are. Believe oh, it or not. Man, that's, that's but yeah, so like cool. Will Howard's in there right now, and yeah, that's a guy. That's a guy that looks like a prospect, and you know, there's a bunch of Grayson McCall just jumped in, Matt Sluka at a Holy Cross. That's a guy you guys are gonna know about next year, if you don't already. I don't already. So, Jarvis, you know about Sluka? I've heard about him. I haven't seen him at all in depth. Yeah, he he's legit. I've heard he's uh, a pretty pretty freaky athlete for a quarterback. He is nice. He is. Nice. He's fun. He's a lot of fun. Holy Cross is really good because of him. Uh, 
is a, this is an underrated name that he's he'll be draft eligible next year. He's out of Vanderbilt. AJ Swan, he's legit. Okay. Uh, EJ Warner, Kurt Son is in the transfer portal. He just entered today out of Temple. Um, yeah, it's the quarterbacks. I think right now there's more quarterbacks in the portal than anybody else. That sounds right. Speaking so. of quarterbacks, I had a question I wanted to ask you too, especially now that we got Jarvis. Okay. And it was after the uh, little segue here. It was after Dorsey got fired, and now Reich is fired. Um, and we were talking about, or who was I talking to about? Oh, well, it, it's also stemmed from watching Fields on Monday night and watching people tear down Getsy and Eberfluss. And like fairly so, they're not doing a great job. But anyway, I had this confusing thought in my head, and it was. Well, here's what I wrote down. How much should an offensive coordinator slash play caller stray from their own stuff, which is what got them there and got them that job? How much should they stray from that and completely change what they know and what they do just to fit a quarterback? Especially in like Fields' case, when it's such a bad quarterback. Um how much can you ask a play caller or an offensive coordinator to really like remove themselves from what they want to do and what they were hired to do just because they got a guy that can't do it. I remember Russell Wilson getting Daryl Bevel fired, getting uh, what's who, who was after him. Someone else got let go of, I believe in Seattle. I forget anyway, but Russell back then was this, it worked for him, but he's always been the same guy. Can't throw over the middle of the field spins out of the pocket makes crazy plays, but the guy can't see the middle of the field, won't throw the middle of the field, really isolates himself outside the numbers as to where he's willing to look and throw. There's just a game plan for Russell that you can't call or execute because he's going to ruin it for you. Even if they win and he looks great, not what the offensive coordinator called, not what he intended, right? That's kind of where I see fields. So I went through the all 22 of Monday's game, got to see the whole thing, every drop back. There and every Bears fan is saying, call a vertical game, call a vertical, blah, 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 blah. Okay, watch the tape, Bears fans. I can't tell you how many three safety and two high three safety, three and two high looks the Vikes came with that whole game. And they're calling vertical stuff. And a lot of it actually did come open for fields. He ain't pulling the trigger. And they're calling it. So now you got a defensive coordinator that's saying, All right, we know what he is and what his only strength is, according to their fans, too. Let's just stop that. And it does stop that. So now you got Getsy, who's like, well, what can I do? I could call the best game plan of all time. I can cater it to this kid. It does, if I don't cater it to him, he'll ruin it. If I do cater it to him, the DC knows what we're doing. So at what point do you blame, Do you just say, all right, well, it's the quarterback? Because the offensive coordinators get so much flat, and sometimes it is the OCs. You watch Ken Dorsey's offense with Josh Allen, and it was disjointed and confusing. And it was like, do you? It, it was like he didn't know what his personnel was. He was calling vertical stuff for Gabe consistently. Trent Sherfield's running behind cornerbacks on left. You know, like his leverage is off. Like there's so many things wrong with it. Spacing's off. Timing's off. But at what point? It, like it's a hard thing to find that balance of blame. But at what point, as an offensive coordinator, do you just say like, screw it, I'm I'm done. And I'm blameless. Like, I'm not going to take the blame for this anymore. I just don't understand how when we watch offenses, it's still like this barbaric approach of like, this guy sucks, this guy sucks, this guy sucks. There's a lot of layers to it. And I'm sure like, I'm sure Jarvis, you, you know, 
you being the deep thinker you are, you might have some better thoughts on it than I do. John, same. But I just can't figure out where, you know, you draw that line to point the finger and who is at fault when, you know, it's like you're going to your job and you're doing your whole thing right and you pass the sandwich on to the next guy at Subway after you put all the toppings on and he just smashes the shit out of it. Okay, well, I did my part, dude, and now you sabotaged it, and the guy, you know, the customer gets his order, and it's a crappy sandwich. Well, I did my I did it, and I feel like that's a lot of these play callers, and then, you know, the quarterbacks are getting them fired or getting making them look bad, but I'm like, I don't know what else they can do. My question, I think, here would be, are we focusing on assigning blame, or are we focusing on what generates the optimal outcome, if that makes sense? I'd say both. Obviously, like right, like for some teams, you're like, we need to find the blame. Like, we need to figure out what's going on. Like, what's wrong? Because at some point, like in Fields' case or Zach Wilson's case, they suck. They, like, even when it's optimal for them, you're like, all right, they're not – like, it's not going to happen. It's not being executed. I don't know what else they could do. So you got to assign blame, I guess, in my opinion. That way you can – because sometimes the, I think the optimal outcome is like, we got to get rid of one of these guys. And sometimes it's not. And I think that's what I'm asking is like, where's that? Where do we find that line? I think the the question that comes to my mind is this, right? Is can you change the quarterback? Like, is Justin Fields going to change? Like his game, like, is he going to physically change or anything? Like, or is, is he what he is? I mean, that, I think that's the thing. He's in year three. And like so many of his tendencies are remain the same. And I went through that entire Vikings game. And I'm like, if for him, I found so many things that like, even if he would do something right, escape pressure and blah, 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 I'd roll out of it. And you're like, okay, there was no one open. Then he throws a pass to Mooney and sails it way over his head. And you're like, dude, it, it, you did the hard part. The pass was open. Then there's other times where they'll call deep shots and they're wide open. Guess who's not pulling the trigger? Guess who has no pressure in his face? Fields. And it just feels like his problems compounded. If it's not one thing, it's another thing. And then he makes this boneheaded play and it turns into this thing. And then the defensive coordinator sees this tendency. And now it's like, I wouldn't even know what to do as the offensive coordinator, or like what my next step would be, because I feel like, you know, they have this game plan in mind. They have this thought in mind of what the script is going to look like and how they want to execute and beat a defense. But if your quarterback refuses to do any of it, where do you go from there? Gotcha. Um, this is – I want to make sure I have my notes here. John, if you have something you want to throw in here, but I have, I have something to add to this specifically. So to me, um, one of the problems that the NFL had for a long time was coaches not being able to cater their schemes to the players. Right. You know, um, that's why, you know, Terrell Pryor didn't work in the NFL. If he, if he comes in out of college, you know, 10 years later, five years later – he had he probably has a very different NFL career. Yeah, um, we didn't know what to do with that type of a quarterback. And I mean, Michael Vick was well ahead of his time. And how many championships did he win? None. You know, he got to an NFC Championship game one year with Atlanta. And so I think to some extent, uh, coaching has been the issue for a long time. So what people are starting to figure out is that if you want to be successful at what you do. You have to be able to evolve with the game. Um, look, look at college, for example. Nick Saban is the best at what he does in college football because he's constantly changed and evolved what Alabama football means. 
while still staying true to the dominance and the physicality that they play with. Right. You know, it went from we we got Mark Ingram, we got Derrick Henry, we're going to run the ball up the gut, we're going to run all these power formations, we're stronger than you, you can't stop us, to two years later, they're a completely four-receiver spread vertical attack. Yeah. And it's because, it, and that's why, you know, great coaches are great because they can cater a scheme to the player. And so in the case of fields, you got a guy that's got a great arm. You got a guy that's an excellent athlete and you want to get him outside the pocket and get him the ball down the field. Right. Uh, that's kind of the idea is to put as much stress on the defense as possible. Now you're talking about, him, the you know schemes being wide open and he's not pulling the trigger and that goes back to the whole i'm going to bring up the point from earlier in the year when justin goes in that press conference and just shits on his coaches and is like oh well you know they're yeah, i'm robotic because they're trying to tell me too much i mean like come on dude it's because <laughs> we have this scheme and we want you to be able to read it the right way so it's at some point, I think you do get to you get to a point where you're like, okay, the co- the quarterback can't do. We tried to fit, we tried different schemes, we tried different things. He's not processing it well enough. We got to move on, you know. Um, but again, it, it comes back to: is the Bears are the Bears running you know stuff that fits Fields, or are they running the same generic shit the rest of the league is running? because they're scared they're going to lose their job and they want to kind of say, Hey, well, we're trying what everybody else is and it's not working. You know, yeah. you look at a team, a guy, Mike McDaniels, you look at uh, Nick Sirianni, you look at these, those types of coaches right now that are thriving. Andy Reed's done it forever. Andy's offense has changed. Oh, since he's been yeah, around a drastically. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of comes down to, you gotta be able to, you gotta be able to fit your personnel the right way. I feel like the Bears are running a lot of the same stuff that everybody else is in the league, and they're trying to do that. So it's kind of like, well, they save their jobs. We move on from Justin Fields instead of trying to go out there and figure out is there some way that we can do it? It's it, you know, like I started coaching kickers, right? So this is not quite the same as scheming up an offense. But what I'm doing, I got two freshmen. I got two freshmen. Their one's range is probably about 35 right now. The other's 30 on a good day. And so right now, as we're building up their strength, it it's kind of a, hey, let's go out there and let's just try some different shit. Let's just see what works. You know, hey, I want you to try your swing this way. I want you to hold your arm this way when you go through the kick. I just, we're trying everything in practice, you know, and just, I'm kind of seeing this. Hey, we need to get wider through the swing, blah, 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 blah. We're going to be able to do a kickers episode now, Justin, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I'm sick so, that week. and so uh but no that's the thing is it's like everybody's different every kicker's different so i need to come out here i need to figure out what works for them i need them to figure out what works for them yeah so maybe the case of justin right now is he doesn't know who he is as a player he's not comfortable with the identity he has as a player and that's what's that's what the coaches are missing on because that's not something you're going to spend a lot of time trying to figure out when you're a pro Right. And I think, well, we've talked about him before, but I think also if you don't know, <clears throat> as a first round, player, you don't know your identity as a quarterback. That's a problem. Now it's year three and we don't know if he's this amazing rusher or if he's a big arm vertical guy or if he's a screen thrower against the, you know, like 
at, some, at, at what point are you like, all right, we're done with this kid. Like, there's and, no way. But, but we also don't know what's going on inside the building. And the reason right. I bring this up is because look at what Mike McDaniel did with Tua when right. he took over as a head coach. Tua thought he was a terrible quarterback. He couldn't play in the NFL. His confidence was absolutely shot. And Mike comes in there and puts together a video of like, what, 300 plays that he hit in, in the NFL and ran perfectly and made a good play on. And he said, yeah. no, look, you can play in the NFL. And so what Mike did after that was in showing him and sitting there breaking down hours of tape with right. his quarterback is he builds up the confidence, but also at the same time shows him, hey, this is who you are. This is what's working. This is what we're going to do. You know, and so what are the, what are the Bears doing with Justin behind the scenes that we don't know about? You know, are there conversations that are being had like that where you're sitting there going, Justin, like let's we need you to figure out who you are as a yeah. as a not just as a player but as a person? Like, what is your temperament? What are who are you? What who is Justin Fields? Yeah. I think that if that's something that's missing, that might explain why he's not picking up on different things, right? Travis, what, what do you got? Dude, I got a lot here to go through. Um, <laughs> so did you ever, I don't know if either of you have read the article I have is my pen tweet. It's, the, it's basically a college thesis. <laughs> he thought the little one I made for the Jane Daniels one was bad. You should see this one. But it was essentially about um, how you can compare evolutionary processes to the functionality of like selecting players and then seeing whether they succeed or fail and so on and so forth. And one of the key ideas that I got out of that is this idea of, um, you know, it's the whole, you've heard of survival of the fittest, right? And so what does that mean? Does it mean survival of the most, the fastest, the most explosive, you know, the, the longest tooth animal, not necessarily. It's more so just the survival of whatever is most uh, adapted to the environment, right? Yeah. Like you could think of like, let's say a cheetah, Let's say you made a cheetah 10 times faster, right? You, you let a cheetah run 700 miles per hour. What's going to happen? The second it tries to make the slightest turn, it's breaking its leg. So it's useless. You can make it as fast as you want. And at a certain point, it, it stops being optimal. Um, and so when I think of that, I think of what makes anything useful in a given environment, right? So highlighted a, a paragraph from that. A key point here is to understand that these traits and characteristics do not significantly change for individuals when thrust into different environments, but they instead they that instead they find success or failure based on what environment they land in. An animal cannot force its teeth to grow longer or sharper, nor can a man stretch hard enough to grow several inches. If you run with 4.8 speed, you likely cannot run with 4.3 speed, no matter what training regimen you have. It's just not part of your type, right? So I think of fields and I think of, okay, if we were trying to figure out what would make fields fail or succeed, right? Is it, can we make this environment as absolutely optimal within the scheme to allow him to succeed? And then if we do that, is he still failing, right? Like think of Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson, if you put him on a scheme any other than what Baltimore did for him, how would it go? He wouldn't, he would have had a different path probably as a player. But let's say you put him in Baltimore and he still fails anyways. What does that tell you? It tells you that you just can't succeed with that, right? You've done everything possible to optimize for a given environment and you've still failed. Okay. So with fields, it's like if you have an offensive coordinator who is refusing to optimize for that environment, then you can't really know truly what fields was capable of or what he wasn't capable of. Right. Now, if you optimize for that environment, he still fails, then, okay, he just doesn't have the physical tools. But I think judging whether or not something can be successful, you have to give it every chance to adapt and put it in the optimal environment that you can 
and then that's how you judge. And so if it were up to me, I would say I would place blame at the offensive coordinator's feet if they're refusing to do everything they possibly can to give Fields the best offense he can run. Right. And the reason being that there's going to be a time frame of, okay, let's say you have a year with Fields. Let's say you have two years, whatever. Can you get another quarterback? You know, are you going to go sign some guy? Maybe another guy fits what you want to run better. But what's the price of going and getting him? So as long as you have fields, you need to do everything you possibly can to maximize those tools. And if you still fail, then it's not on you. But if you're not doing that, then you're not optimizing the environment. You're doing, you're, you're giving him, uh, I get the, again, go back to survival of the fittest. Fittest is determined by ability just to, to thrive within a given environment. You're not giving him that environment. Right. And for the Bears to get a guy that fit their scheme, the cost was an undrafted free agent. So that worked out well for them. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, couldn't help myself yeah, on that one. I, I, had a, I knew Tyson Badgett was going to work his way into this conversation. <laughs> Bajent, Bajent, come on, man, Bajent, get it right. Bajent, just I like butchered Bajent. it too. Yeah, what's that? <laughs> I messed it up too. Yeah, I don't care what we're Bajent, Bajent. It's all the same crap. Anyways, <laughs> I couldn't help myself. He that was that was just. Waiting, I was like right there, grabbing. No, I was waiting. I was like, John's gonna bring it up. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> and here's here's an interesting question too. I would give you, Gam, is like again yep. going back to whether or not uh, this is going to use evolutionary terms. So it might sound kind of weird, but like an an organism surviving or dying, right? It's based on, like I said, that ability to adapt to a given environment. Well, like you mentioned with the offensive coordinator, what got you to the show, and can you change from that? So it's not just on the quarterback of how adaptable are they. And you know, fitting an right, environment for right. them. It's also an offensive coordinator, and how how adaptable can an offensive coordinator be? Uh, one of the things I mentioned in the article is this idea of let's say you outlawed running, what would happen, right? Like you just you cannot run. What happens to the running backs in the league? There are some running backs that would continue to thrive, like Christian McCaffrey would still be around. You know, you could find ways to use them, but would Derrick Henry? And nope. so you could kind of pose that question of if you brought in an offensive coordinator, right, and all he can do is the one thing. Let's say you bring an offensive coordinator, all he knows is all about the running game, right? And you put him in that league, he dies. But yeah. you put another one that has the adaptability to change and, and go to something new, okay, he lives. And so I think in general, having an offensive coordinator who has just like that one trick or is limited as far as their ability to adjust, just hurts your ability to get the most fit team that you can possibly get. Okay, I like that. Because I think wow. we've seen certain right. coordinators come in the league – and exceed expectations by far because we look at that personnel from a, you know, from a talent standpoint, and we go, yeah, they this is going to be one of the worst teams in the league, and they come out and they're competitive, and that's that's when the credit goes to the coordinator because we know what all these guys are capable of doing at least from a a pure talent standpoint, and so when you yeah. can come up with creative ways to make things happen. As a coordinator, is someone putting together an offense or defense or a special teams unit? Got to throw that in there now. <laughs> you that that's what really makes you stand out among your peers because it's about being able to place players into the right position for them to succeed. That's what makes a great coach. Yeah. And without that ability, you don't you don't make it very long. You know, there's certain guys we've seen come up and they they made their career off of a player that carried them. You know, Josh McDaniel, Tom Brady. You know, I think that uh, you could make the argument with what was it, Adam Gase, Peyton Manning. Everybody knew that Brady and Manning 
were the real architects of what was happening because they were so far advanced in the game and their knowledge and everything else that they were basically the offensive coordinator. They were dictating what they wanted to do, what they liked to do. And that's where you see what your job has to become. If the quarterback knows what he wants to do and he knows what he likes to do, that's what you have to build it to. That's what you have to build your offense to. And so those specific opportunities worked perfectly and ended up in being Super Bowls for, for those teams yeah, because the quarterback knew who he was and knew where he needed to be to be successful. And so there's a lot of guys that come in that they don't know that. They don't know themselves that well. They don't understand it that well. And so, and because we talk about guys like Brady, we talk about guys like Manning, we talk about Montana, we talk about, you know, these all-time greats that were all so far ahead in the game that they were able to do these things and set their coordinators up for success because they're like, yeah, I like this, I like that, I like yeah. this, I don't like this, don't like doing that. And so that's where being a coach, you have to be have to be an evaluator to some aspect too, where you're saying. This is what this is what he likes. This is what he's going to do well with. This is what he's going to do well with, and do that accurately. That's hard to do. Yeah. You know, that's the other thing too is you got guys coming in the league at 21, 22 years old, right? I think sometimes even twenty. Think about you guys yeah. when you guys were that young. Did you guys have yourselves figured out? Stupid. <laughs> yeah. What makes no, you think? Yeah. What makes you think that these guys, these young men coming out, have any idea who they are? Right. And sometimes, you know, you don't figure it out till 27, 28. And then, but by that time, these guys have busted and they're, you know, like I think about Zach Wilson being a, a young prospect and being kind of, I don't want to say immature, but it just felt like, like when you, we talked about this before, when you look at him and Trevor Lawrence, even in my pre draft stuff, I was like, Trevor Lawrence is a man. Like this guy carries himself like a man. He's an adult. He's a grown up. There's just a difference in his vibe and what he is as a human versus the uber talented Zach Wilson it just feels like we're dealing with someone who knows who they are and a guy that's still kind of learning about life and what he wants to be who he wants to be or just like the way he carries himself is different I don't want to you know make him seem like he was an idiot or discredit him mm -hmm. for, for being what he was but it's just you that it was just an opinion it was and I could be wrong right but that was my opinion is ah, there's a difference and I sold out and went with Zach Wilson and said I, I'm gonna take the talented kid I think he's the best quarterback in this class wrong and we still see it today. Even the, the one of the most talented passers we've seen with his the arm strength, the arm talent, everything he does is fantastic. But when you ask him to plug those tools into an NFL offense and use his mind and guide his physical tools, awful. Just been terrible. And I don't think it's getting better. And I'm like, I, I don't think what, any offensive coordinator could fix that. And I think he's beneath the threshold of like, all right, he's so bad, it doesn't matter now. So I don't care whose offensive coordinator is. I got to blame Zach. And I'm getting that place with Fields. It's like, all right, I just don't know what you would do to this kid. Like anything you ask him to do, it's like there's a problem. And maybe it's because unlike Tua and some of these other guys, yeah, they might not be physically gifted, but I think they have some elite trait or some ability to do certain things at a very high level. And you can build around that. But when a guy is below average at pretty much everything, now what's the offensive coordinator's job? Try and figure out what he's not the worst at. And that might be harsh, but that's you know that's that's my headspace. Is I'm like I can't watch all these bad quarterbacks week to week and think like eh, someone could be doing better with them. Like nah, at a certain point, it's just they're bad. I coach hockey kids too, and sometimes I'm like, he's not good. He's not going anywhere. <laughs> he's just bad. I, the the moms will be like, what can I do to get him? 
you know, to be this travel, this player next year and make this team. And I'm like, find a new sport. (laughs) Yeah. Like what point do you just like, Hey, your kid kind of isn't good. You know, he's not good. And I think because all these guys made it to the NFL, we give them enough credit. Like, well, they've got to be good. Some, someone will make them good. Like, no, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe they're just busts. You know, we see that a lot and that's just the, the reality of it. So here's, here's a question I would pose is, and you think of Zach Wilson as a guy who he's not necessarily like he's below that threshold, right? There's a threshold of ability to where, okay, you just can't, there's, there's no environment I can put you in to make right. you succeed. I can give you all these receivers. I can give you the best offensive line at a certain point. You just cannot physically do these things. Right. Um, and so I kind of wonder with Wilson or not Wilson with fields. It's like, has he had the opportunity to try all these different like ways to attack the field? Are they being creative? Because if it's just, Oh, we're just going to build this offense as this is what we want our quarterback to be able to do rather than this is what he can do. You're kind of taking away that opportunity. I don't think it's necessarily should be on fields to like, elevate a scheme that isn't suitable for him right like he can try but i think right. trying to construct the perfect environment for him is all you can do at that point you've kind of if he's not that then then you give up on it i i, I i'll ask this and it's kind of two questions here one would be you said that they kind of i think john said this that they are building this offense in a way where it's more of like fit for other quarterbacks in the league rather than specifically for fields and so I wonder if you were to take all these other quarterbacks and put them in this offense, how would they do? And not necessarily just from a talent standpoint, but just from a fit standpoint. If you like, are there 20 quarterbacks that this offense is built better for than for fields? And if so, what, what does that say about the offensive right. coordinator? So what I would say watching all their film last year and every game so far this year is like the offensive coordinator is not adapting to fields. Well, um, I would, but what I would say is they've tried. Like last year, we saw Fields have all those huge rushing games, but then Fields complained like I'm tired, and and then he gets hurt, and they're like, okay, great. So then you see certain games where they're like, let's you know take things vertical. Let's get you DJ Moore. Let's give you tons of hitters on the outside outside the numbers where you literally don't have to read anything. Just look at the corner. If he's a certain look, you throw this. If not, you th- you know it's let's dumb it down as as much as possible. Okay, well, that only works for so long. Let's play Brian, Brian Flores' defense, and we're going to throw 19 screens and play quick game and see if we can get you out like that and make you not process anything. Okay, well, at a certain point, it almost feels like Fields is turning these, these like the play caller and the coach into what he is. Now they're just like, we don't know our identity. Every single week I study a Bears game, I'm like, this is not even the same offense as last week and a different offense than the week before. And maybe that's on the offensive coordinators as well. I think it's just become this mess of like two inferior talents or people that are kind of bad at their jobs right now are trying to make each other work. And we, it, it's hit that point where it's just not going to work anymore. I think Fields is not great, but I think the, the, the play callers and stuff are kind of working around it and they're not doing a great job either. And they, they kind of hit this snag where it's like, well, what else can we try? Because we've tried so many different things. You said each each week it seems like a different offense. That's a good thing. That's a good sign, right? Because you're yeah. trying to give him all these – like, again, you think about the the fitting into the environment. You're giving him an, a new environment every week yeah. to try, and you're yeah. going through each one, and each one he's failing. And so what that tells me is, okay, then he's not the right guy. Now, you still got to give him the best one to where you can succeed, but if you've given him all of these and you're kind of at that point like, we don't know what to do with him, we're kind of out of ideas – I think you just put him the best one you possibly can to, to win in. And then you just say, okay, this is what we are. 
Um, because right. at that point he's below the threshold. He's the same in the same boat like you think Wilson is. Um, and so obviously at that point you reach a you reach a level where it's okay. The price is we have to wait for a year or two, however long it is, to get a new quarterback in here, and hopefully yeah. we all keep our jobs long enough to do that. But um, this is this is something you you know you could think of it from the evolutionary standpoint. But I think also in machine learning, uh, the approach is to basically just keep throwing variations at the wall to see what works, right? Okay. You yeah. think of like, let's say, a, a, you know, a, a cheetah has, uh, you know, let's say a litter of eight and six of them die for whatever various reasons. The two that survive. OK, cool. They fit that environment. And then you extend from there and you keep trying those variations until it fits the environment. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And so the same thing goes for like you're trying things with fields. You're just trying new variations and some are going to die one week. It's going to die. And you're going to be like, oh, crap, we can't do that again. Let's go to something <laughs> new. And maybe there's just not a point where you can hit that where you're going to find success where you're just below that line but it, the all you can do is keep trying new things until hopefully you get somewhere or right. you get a new quarterback in and then hopefully you can do something good with them right and then hopefully it works out that way yeah yeah sometimes the cheetah just isn't fast enough sometimes the litter of eight all dies and then you just don't have any more cheetahs like and at that point it's like okay we did everything we could you know we we've had as much variation in the system as possible that's all all you can do um there's right. a quote real quick i want to pull up john if you want to fill for a second if you have any thoughts or Cam, if you have thoughts so i can hunt that quote down <laughs> no, no it's, it's it's all good um overall to me um i wouldn't want the headache Right fields, you know. Yeah. So if I'm if I'm running a team, fields is probably not my first option. Uh, I love the arm strength. I love the athletic ability, but beyond that, what is it? What is, what is he bringing to my team? I'm not even sure of that yet. And that's a good point that you bring up about the, you know, the rushing and bringing in all the different points. I'm glad they're doing. I haven't watched a lot of Bears this year. I watched. I, well. I can I can't even say I've even watched the Monday night game. I had it on and just kind of like lost interest. I think I ended up watching Ted Lasso instead on my phone <laughs> while the game's on, you know, like just like Ted Lasso's amazing. But uh you got his mustache too, Justin. Um I know, I know. I know where you got your inspiration now. I get it. I understand. Um <laughs> but no, so go ahead, Joe. Go ahead, Mark. So the quote is selection can only act on what variation is already in the population. It cannot create variation. So variation you would think of, let's say, is any quarterback, like Fields versus um, Bajan, right? Yeah. It's the same thing. So they can only do what is available in their quarterback room. They can only work with what is in their quarterback room. And so they have to optimize that in whatever way is possible. But at a certain point, if there is just simply not variation in the population to where it could be successful, to where it can, you know, be fruitful, then you just can't do anything at that point. You're kind of just like, okay, let's go for what is the best possible option. And then it, okay, it failed. Right. Get a new one. Try to find it, you know, something right, new to come right, into right. it. But so how much, how much do you think the bears right now are kind of like, well, maybe this Mitch Trubisky guy wasn't that bad. <laughs> I mean, yikes. I, I remember those Trubisky days. They, they were at least fields gives you like flashes of like, Oh, he's going to run or like, Oh, he threw it 65 yards where Trubisky every play. You're just like, is he crapping his pants back there? And like, Hey, but they went to the playoffs, remember? They went to I the know. Playoffs. It just felt so underwhelming watching them, even if like they were winning. You're just like, this. Here, didn't, I, didn't like, I didn't like that. Well, it was underwhelming Monday night. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. That's, I'm like, I don't like both. I don't like either. So, you know. Here's, here's what I threw with that, right? Like, 
how many years into Trubisky did Bears fans kind of just give up and quit and say we've had enough? We're tired of this guy. They're quick. It was like during the playoff run. <laughs> They're yeah, still hanging yeah. on to Fields, right? It's the entertainment business. Fields is more entertaining than Trubisky. Now, if you're yeah. going pure by like, you know, who's going to give you more wins? Who's more valuable necessarily? Like maybe you would have a different argument. You could say Trubisky. But as far as like actual who's entertaining for the fans, who, who's going to sell tickets? Oh, yeah, Fields. Yeah. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Well, gentlemen, riveting conversation. I think that yes, went sir. really well. And we uh, gotta go ahead and wrap up the sick pod. I do have. Well, we, we'll do it next week. I do have trivia for you guys next week. So oh, don't go. Oh, so stay here, John. Or okay. stay here, Mark. Come back. I'm gonna skip trivia week. That's like that's my kicker's week, man. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be cool. It, it it has it has it has a purpose. And it'll and it'll be fun. So, but we ran out of time tonight. Next week, next week for sure. I'll pop so again, there. thank you all for tuning in for Justin Gamble, for Mark Jarvis, and John Vogel, and we will be back at it right here on the Sick Pod next week. Shane, let's get out of here. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Draft Vogel on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.